again we find ourselves in this present moment. reflect that though we think we're making our way through life, going somewhere, that actually this experience of, uh, of time, of coming, of going, doing and not doing is is arriving into the heart, it's visiting us, like a guest. Since the morning, our morning bowing arrived, it dissolved into the configuration, the manifestation, the sensation of breakfast. That somehow transmutes into all the different thoughts, feelings, sense of being here, being there, being up, being down. Ending of the day now manifesting. Dharma talk manifesting. Visiting, arising in the heart space. Can we begin through our cultivation <coughs> to get a sense for the immutability, the timeless purity of the heart? The boring manifest. Beautiful manifest, a gruesome manifest, and yet, just like in the reading last night, I think it was last night, or whenever Tanisha did the reading from Tensei Rinpoche about the thoughts like a bird fly through the mind. It dissolves without leaving a trace. Or just as a simile, sometimes this, this timeless heart, just a simile, but 
talked about as a mirror. That we grim it in the mirror. Oh God, look at that. Is my nose getting bigger? I think it is. <laughs> when we walk away from the mirror what what sticks we get so preoccupied with the image fixated on the image our teacher Anjan Tomato used to compare it to this lovely vast beach next to a spacious sea turquoise lapisless design with hundreds, thousands of beings pouring over a sand crystal, each their own, crying, pulling out their hair, weeping, laughing ecstatically, <laughs> mesmerized by one. When do we take the time to Look around what it is we're fixated on. Get us into the space. Look to the stars. Ask the question, what's looking? Who's looking? Not expecting an answer. The answer we'll get is me, stupid. <laughs> and then me, me, stupid. I've tried that one before. Thanks for me. That's that bird flying across the space and dissolving without a trace. No, <laughs> I'm serious. It's me, stupid. I think I can get it out of this one so easy. It's you and me in here. <laughs> Keep sensing it dissolves. The sense of the space. People are getting a, a feeling for that. It's very poignant, very beautiful, marvelous. To have a privilege that Tanisha and I have. And all of us together when we share the Dhamma in our small groups is a way of checking in. I hope people realize, maybe we can't realize it for ourselves, but I think you have the sense of what happens. Sometimes we don't sense it for ourselves, but we hear someone else speak the Dhamma, share the Dhamma, sound the note of the Dhamma as they recognize the anxiety or the, or the fear or the heaviness or the of space, or the enjoyment of the sense of space, and then the panic that comes. What's going to happen here? And the quick scurrying to reestablish some sense of who we are with a thought. 
the beauty, the truth of uh, the way people sound, speak from their own experience, our own experience. The way things are. This is a very important part of the path. Maybe some people don't want to do it, and that's all right. Maybe once they get into a quiet, and there are places for that. I've spent long periods of time quiet. But nevertheless, the experience of sharing Dhamma sort of goes through our nervous system, our bones, our voice, our words. That there's something about being becoming integrated into us. So therefore, the Buddha praised it highly. He praised the value of hearing the Dhamma as being a great blessing because before we hear the Dhamma, we just hear my views and opinions. This is good, that's bad. Or we hear his views and opinions. That's good, that's bad. The culture's views and opinions. Believe it or disbelieve it. But when we first hear the Dhamma, that's a blessing. When we hear something in whatever form, whether it's through a book, whether it's through an example, a good friend is setting, whether it's a creature that has manifested it before us in their own utter ease within their own nature. When we first hear the Dhamma, it's important. It speaks to us about how things are, what leads to <coughs> peace, what leads to confusion. The Buddha blessed that. But he praises even a higher, a higher uh, blessing, the activity of discussing the Dhamma, sharing the Dhamma. So that it's not just the Dhamma out there. There's such a tendency, such a tendency to project. What starts, but to project the sacredness, the Dhamma, onto the saints, the sages, the teachers, the Buddha. Even though it's important and significant when we recognize it out there. There's still a sense of it being out there and, and there's still the, the view that somehow it, I can't do that or I don't know that. But a good teacher, like, like uh, the Buddha, or like our, our teachers, I felt that have helped us so much, like Ajinsa, Ajinsumaito, And many other wonderful teachers we've had the good fortune to have fulfill that role and, and share Dhamma, but keep pointing us to our own heart to trust. How many times have we been told, trust your wisdom, use your wisdom? Wait around for Buddhahood. We can wait till the cows come home. It's, it's 
in a sense, more helpful, more useful to to use the wisdom to be, as they say in Thai, the Pulu, be the one that knows. Right now, in a moment of, of acknowledging, it's like this. As I used to reflect in the monastery, yesterday is a memory. Tomorrow is the unknown. Now is the knowing. The Pulu, the one that knows. And that being Buddha in this moment, that's using our wisdom, beginning to take what was projected out there to trust again. That it actually arises right here, so close to us, right in our own heart. We have a memory of this morning. When the memory arises, we can know the memory. Yesterday, or the sense of this morning, memory. Rising, shifting, seeking, ceasing. But the tomorrow is the unknown. But, but when will when will I finally get the best of this paralyzing doubt? When, when am I going to... What should I... What should I do about it? What should I say then? It hasn't happened. It's unknown. Can we know the unknown? It's not happened. Tomorrow, not happen. What we'll say when we meet so-and-so, not happen. Can we, can we rest a bit with, I don't know. But knowing the I don't know, I'm not just trying to be clever with words. Knowing means recognizing, being at ease with. the formation of the future, of the uncertainty, of what might be. And so it is said that now is the knowing. Now we know the different formations that come before the mirror. We've had experience of working today and yesterday some with... uh, what happens when we acknowledge these conditions in their bubble-like nature? Shifting nature. Start to recognize that they're like a stream, like a waterfall, like a dewdrop. They're there, and then when the sun comes out, they evaporate. Start to get a sense for the impossibility of really grasping one. And the feeling for the shifting signs, the ever-changing. You get a feeling for honoring that and letting it be, letting go of trying to capture something, trying to reject something, getting a sense for it in the letting be, getting a sense for the spaciousness of that. 
พิสดารจิตเสียใจ struggling recognizing that When the Buddha talked about, there is an unconditioned, there is an unborn, an unoriginated. If it wasn't for this unconditioned, unborn, unoriginated, there would be no escape from the conditioned, the born, the originated. But because there is that which is unborn, that which doesn't die, that which timelessly is, because there is that. There is freedom. And we had an opportunity to get a feeling for the born, for the mortal, for the conditioned. Well, what are we talking about? We're, we're talking about just this. These thoughts that fly through space and dissolve. This breakfast that disappeared. Now it's turned into evening. It's called condition. Wrestler's body champion has turned into this. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> I used to have big muscles. I could walk up and down on my hands, back and forth, do backflips. What kind of show is this? <laughs> It's called conditions. Getting a sense that there's no condition that is separate, none. It's like someone looking at a shadow, being a child, being fascinated by the shadow. Ooh, look at that! I want that. Mom says, "Well, sorry, son, but you can't get it. The shadow is not separate from the form, from the light. It's casting the shadow." This is not separate from the breath we've been appreciating, from the water, from the food, from the elements. No, there's no thing. It's only papancha. It's only this misunderstanding of the magic of language. Language is magical. It's useful. But when we misunderstand it, we take the language to be the reality. Me is the real, separate from you. Actually, not true. It's a conventional way of talking. Language points at something, but then when attention, awareness, when we illumine with our with our wisdom, I, our Dharma, I, what's pointed to by a word, we have the opportunity in the conditioned realm to see all this change. So we've been reflecting on that, on how it's not a thing, not a self. It's, it's dukkha. If you try to if you try to pretend it's separate from anything else, because it'll become otherwise. It's called unsatisfactory. Can't help but be, because the lightning flash is there. It's gone. We might have a photograph of it. Oh wow, that's that's not the lightning flash. And even the photograph just didn't change. 
you know, the Buddha taught that in recognizing the mortal, then we start to notice the heart space that it's happening in. Start to see the change, recognize the change, be with the change, and get a feeling for the silence that all change keeps dissolving into. The presence that each sound sinks into. You may get that sense of the unconditioned, that place that's not shifting, not changing. And we only focus on the, just again, an image, the wave, and we only focus on the wave, the surface of the sea. We see a form, and language can name it, my wave. That's the one I want to put on. That's the one that's really neat, the big one. Not too big. Not a tidal wave. It's a good wave. We can focus on that. We can see it. We can take that. Take that to be me. And we can get devastated as we do when it crashes. Can we can we also acknowledge the, that it's water? Acknowledge that that wave is also not really separate from the death, not separate from the other waves. It's just a way of looking, misunderstood way of looking. All these conditions are like waves that keep breaking and melting back into the depth of presence. So it is said that a great saint said, Sri Nisargadatta, a wonderful saint, contemporary saint who died not that long ago, that wisdom tells us that I am nothing. I'm not the thing. Wisdom tells us I am no thing. Wisdom sees all these changes, it lets go, and then we experience this formless presence, not a thing, timeless. Wisdom says, I am no thing, I am nothing. The last half of this thought is, the compassion tells us I am everything. Between these two banks, the life of the saint flows. Very profound. We've been fixated on forms, making assumptions about forms, having the opportunity through these marvelous encouragements for investigation to start to see the characteristics of form is changing, not so having a chance to see that and then let go. The gesture of wisdom, let go. And we start to notice the unconditioned, the depth, timeless, present. When we're letting go, wherever we are, it's the same taste, on the moon, under the shower, 
outside, inside, up there, over there. Same taste. Buddha said, wherever you taste the ocean, it's salty. Wherever one tastes the depth of our being, letting be, letting go, it's peaceful. It's not a thing. It's presence. Empty, empty of separation, empty of. But it's such, it's as it is, it's this way. Yet, yet within this spaciousness, within this emptiness, there still is body. It's not as solid as we thought it was, it's not what our views and opinions say it is, but it still is what it is. There's the depth of the ocean and there are the waves, in which is better. Um, depth is better. It is both part of the totality. For many of us, uh, it's, we've been only associated with the surface, attaching to that, leading to samsara, as all the forms we hold on to try to hold on to elude us, leading to endless chasing. So then for many of us we get a sense of depth. I mean, ah, that's important, that's a significant milestone to get a sense of that. A feeling for letting go, a feeling for peace. And then sometimes there can be this ten- tendency to think when we choicelessly don't seek anything, let be, and feel that peace, then we start associating suffering with out there. We just want to kind of hold on to the peace. This gesture of letting go, letting be, is an important gesture. The mind just doesn't have one move. The mind can also hold. As we explored in the first part of this retreat, we've explored the healing aspect of holding, holding body, and suffusing. How when awareness does hold a form, that the form magically within awareness writes itself to some degree. The nature of awareness to heal, nature of awareness to put things in balance. The more that awareness is non-driven, still within the limitations of, of the conditioned world, but we've, we've, we've explored what it means to hold a form, steady the form, Allow the form to shift and change, suffusing the awareness of form, that there can be more ease that way, more enjoyment of simplicity. We, dis- we discovered that. This is a gesture of compassion, open to, to feel with. Now, the more that our wisdom, when wisdom then takes any bit of it and says it's me, and we realize that's not really true, because it's all dissolving. Then we think, well, where are the real boundaries between me and you? Well, I'm over here, you're over there. How do we know that? Actually, our impression, when we see, my body's in the same visual field as your body. 
He's coming in here with these conceptual scissors saying that there's this bit here that's convincingly speaking as useful to say. But is that ultimately true? We start to see the selflessness of body, of mind, of feeling. It is what it is. We start to see the healing that can come from being with the suffering in this form. We start to recognize, well, not my suffering, it's not your suffering, it's not my form, it's your form, it's his form. In this notion that wisdom says, I know things, letting go, compassion says, compassion, when it's informed by wisdom, embraces. And then, well, what's that outside? And we embrace that, because it's all arising within the heart. This totality is our form. The Bodhisattva. Kuan Yin is a wonderful teacher. Bridges beautifully in the Buddhist teaching. The wisdom and the compassion. Knowing the depth, the nothingness, the emptiness, knowing the surface, all the many living beings, all the different ripples, waves, being near and being far. In the Heart Sutra, and, uh, famous discourse in the Buddhist teachings on uh, emptiness, it's Avalokiteshvara, Kuan Yin. He gives that talk to the Buddhist chief disciple in wisdom, Sariputra. What does Kuan Yin do? Kuan Yin, the one who listens to the sounds of the world, telling Sariputra that form is empty. When we start to look at the forms of as we've been doing, the body, the trees, the day, the empty, the shifting and changing of any separate self. Mm-hmm. And as Kuan Yin went deeper in that particular teaching, Avalokiteshvara or Kuan Yin talked about that the form is no other than emptiness. And emptiness is no other than form. When we hold a form, we realize it's, it's spacious, it's empty, it's not a thing. But if we try to hold to that and somehow deny forms, then we're still split within the emptiness of form manifest. The surface of the ocean, the depth of the ocean is part of one. It's the totality. We don't need to hate form. We need to recognize the emptiness, the freedom within form, and the form within the freedom. We practice when we're getting stuck on the form. We practice letting be, letting go, get a sense for that still center, that formless center. When we're averse to contact, and we, we practice, very important to practice, our compassion practice, welcoming the form. Being with the form, noticing the parts of the form, the pain, the this, the that, that we don't want to be with. We try to get away from it. 
compassion practice to coexist with everything. Welcome. 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 It takes one to a place of non-division. Non- it takes us to the same place. Holding form, realizing the emptiness of it. Realizing the poignancy of it. Having the capacity to hear the cry of suffering in our own heart, the different moods, cries of suffering around us, and remembering the in, the out. That's only a way of talking. In my heart, in your heart, just the sounds of suffering. Kuan Yin not only teaches the heart sutra, but in the but his teachings, the Avalokitesra also, as Tanusra pointed out, uh, offered a, a way of reflecting, very appropriate for this age, listening. Listening to the sounds. But the ears, eyes closed, the ears open. The sound is very helpful because it keeps dissolving, revealing the silence between the sounds. And also wonderfully, if we listen to the source of sound, listen to what remains when the sound ends, we realize the subtle sound is also our thinking. Can we listen to the sounds of our thoughts, how they keep dissolving into the emptiness? Get a feeling for the salt is empty, but the emptiness perfectly holds the salt. And yet, Kuan also manifests in the teachings as that which answers our prayers, that which helps us. In one sutra called the Lotus Sutra, a whole chapter of that particular teaching. Someone asked the Buddha, why does Avalokiteshvara have the name Avalokiteshvara? Avalokita means to regard or listen, svara, to sound. Kuan Yin is the Chinese way of saying the same being. Why does Kuan Yin have that name? And the Buddha talked about that. Kuan Yin's vow. Kuan Yin is an ancient Buddha who vowed to remain in manifestation, just to continue responding, responding to suffering. Kuan Yin vowed, whoever calls my name, I will respond. But I will respond in the way perfect for that being. Hence all the hands and eyes that can respond to countless things. <coughs> some of the hands have, have uh, some of us only hear it when it's coming from a fierce place. The Buddha Kuan Yin vowed, well, if someone can only hear teachings from a warrior, I'll be a warrior. They need to hear it from a king, I'll be a king. They need, if they can only hear, they really need to hear something from a beautiful woman. I will, I will manifest as a beautiful woman. That's one of Kuan Yin's most beloved forms, is the feminine, the compassionate, graceful, in China, that form.
Kuanyin vow to manifest as a creature. If one could hear it from a creature, sometimes we, we we learn about love, we learn about devotion, we learn about innocence from a. Where did that being come from? The manifesting of compassion. This tiny little creature came off the mountain in South Africa, where we live very rough wilderness area. Illegal hunting party, taunting baboons up top, all this barking and the baboons being taunted. And, and it's a protected area, so I got angry. I raced the mountain, shouted at them to go away. Came down the mountain, and then an hour later, a tiny little squeaking sound. Some little puppy had come down the mountain. Where did he come from? Uh, for my little Jack, we've learned a lot about uh, love, a lot about loyalty, courage. Quanyin vowed that to those who need to hear the teaching from a child, I'll manifest as a child. I, I resolve to respond in the form that's needed. So she has a sword to cut through, and she has a branch to just gently bless. Or she has an open hand to offer sweet dew. An arrow to touch. Something penetrates sometimes, doesn't it? When something touches our heart, what's that? The Buddha taught that many beings, when we make an offering to a wise being, that there's tremendous goodness in that, tremendous virtue and wholesome energy in that. He said if you took all the different bodhisattvas and brought them together, offered to all of them, be about the same as making one, just one offering to this great Avalokiteshvara, this formless, timeless being who listens to the sounds of the world. Encouraged. Many of us have been asking as we since the end of the retreat, what how can how do we take this on? Many of us have had breakthroughs and sense of some spaces and I can feel so forlorn when we remember what happens out there. It's hell out there, Kitty so <laughs> Doggy dog. <laughs> this is this is a great challenge, tremendous challenge, the ultimate challenge. But we can do it, and we take the help to that's offered to us. All the things that we've been doing are wonderful. <laughs> 
moment of noticing this is how it is. This is how it is. Create space. What is going on when, when, when we get overwhelmed out there? What, what is that? Someone was saying, oh, I feel fine, but I don't know what happened. These ancient conditioned tendencies, what's called sankaras, they, they just pattern. And sometimes they're not even visible. They're, they go dormant. They're called anusaya. The dormant tendencies are not here now. Then when the configuration is just right, when the conditions are right, when our buttons are pushed, whomp, there it comes, we explode. We tremble. We blame. We collapse. We escape. We get overwhelmed. What's, what's happening? Buddha compared it sometimes to drinking a lump of salt in a small amount of water, trying to drink it, and it's so bitter we can't take it. It's like being against our will, drug into a painful state. But then he talks about the difference if you take that same lump of salt and put it in a larger body, a fresh flowing river. It's dissolved. Sometimes the obstructions come and we just we get carried away. We get swept away. The results of old unskillful karmic actions, old patterns, sweep us away. On this retreat, on these retreats, what we're doing is making a lot of activity that creates space. Buddha described this as that which, like in a moment when we see the nature of things changing, it's, that's creating, noticing the heart space, noticing the nature of things, that's creating space, a whole reservoir of good energies, mixing them with the, with the obstructions as they come. And for we, many of us have had the experience of seeming to be overwhelmed, being overwhelmed, staying with it, and then getting a sense for things shifting, changing. We encourage us to stay with, develop this being with body. That helps create the space. We learn to suffuse rather than just be fixated on a thought, a form. To, to learn to cultivate vast states of mind, unlimited states of mind. That also helps. Unlimited, meaning to open to, as we will in the next few days, to, to continue opening to welcoming the sense of the others in this room, welcoming the thoughts, welcoming the orphans of consciousness, welcoming the memories, welcoming the wounds and spaces. That helps dissolve the obstructions so little by little we can deal with them. This bowing that we've uh, been doing in the morning, an incredible way of cultivating the space, linking with Kuan Yin, linking with a saint or a sage or a Buddha. We, we, some of us can make fun of it, but there's a power. When someone's made a vow, 
What are you talking about? Buddha said we gotta do it. It's up to you, Buster. <laughs> Don't give me that stuff. Well, is that true? Was it only you doing it in the time of the Buddha? How many people came to the Buddha, oh Lord, and stuck? If it was only what was happening in them, how come they got inspired by the Buddha, saw something from the Buddha, heard something from the Buddha, got inspired by the Buddha, something shifted, changed? Yes, there's effort that needs to be made. But is it the case that we're really sealed in? It's only me in here. That's why Song is the third refuge. It wasn't an afterthought. Not two, bit short. <laughs> what do you think, Ananda? Should we have one more? <laughs> we can get help. We can help each other. It's like talking dumb with each other. It's a way of expanding. We're getting helped, blessed. It's something we can do in daily life. Talk the Dhamma with each other from time to time. Just that. Even in simple ways, talking about what is, how it's been, what we're working with. Sounding that note, letting it be heard. Receiving other people's notes. Chanting the name. The Buddha taught to learn to praise that which is worthy of praise has huge blessing energy in it. Okay, just the Buddha is what he says, but we can investigate it. Sounds suspicious to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of us think, oh, I've only had faith. Five faith. Then it'd be different. We got lots of faith. We believe our views and opinions. <laughs> we do. We do all the time. We're very impossible. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Now, you know, even even just to give the possibility to withhold judgment when we bow. Namo means all for my life to to Kuan Yin to the one who's listening. Not that she's over there, she's over there. I don't know where she is. Where's the one who's listening? Where do we find the one who's listening? And we bow. Can we get a sense of just letting the fingers open, the toes open, letting the heart go open? And when we're struggling with something, prayerfulness, I mean, this has been an important part of Buddhist teaching. But we sometimes in our being bruised by devotional practices from some of the ones that maybe were used unskillfully in our culture. We, we forget the devotional skill of that, the usefulness of that. Think it's all just me seeing the truth. That's important, seeing the truth. But if that's the only tool we have, sometimes it really does seem like me seeing the truth. Me. Ah, Sword broke. You feel overwhelmed. <laughs> Damn. My sword wisdom shattered on me. <laughs> it comes to bowing. 
can help get through the arrogance of thinking we're doing it all. Opening to it. Offering, I'll return my life to Queen, to the one who listens. And by the way, I'm really struggling. <laughs> by the way, I don't know what to do about allowing that in our private time, allowing that to be heard, even speak it, so that it's heard, heard outwardly, heard inwardly. Okay, that's a view that we have. Okay, that's good. Let's start to see some of this. We have this view. Nobody's listening. Basically, we believe the universe is dead. It can't respond. Okay, that's a view. Let's, let's get some space around that view. Opportunity to deep, deepen the capacity to trust. Trust the possibility when the Buddha taught, Kuan Yin vowed to respond, Kuan Yin vowed to help, Kuan Yin vowed that we'll all be Buddhas. This great compassion mantra that we're chanting, all these magical sounds, When you talk about that manifesting the hands and eyes within our aura, you talk that we have use of full wisdom. We have the thousand dharmas within our nature. We have wisdom within our nature. Oh, it's not possible. Okay, just hear that. Just trust enough to hear that doubt, but also be open to the possibility of allowing ourselves to be touched, allowing ourselves to be blessed, allowing ourselves to yearn and ask into the silence, allowing ourselves to listen to how the universe responds. This prayerfulness is something very important to take with us back in daily life. You don't do anything else from this retreat, if you're asking me. You might not ask me, but just in case you're going to ask me. Learn the great compassion mantra. Something just like the bow. It's a movement that's only a gesture of offering. I don't got much here, Kuan Yin. I'm sorry, it's a bit pitiful, but a bit wrinkly, but it's offering what we got. Offering to the one who listens. Be reborn into that space of listening right there. Where we're merging with Kuan Yin. Learning the mantra, allowing our mental energy not just to kind of scheme about other things, which we have to do from time to time, but to just learn the mantra for the sake of linking, linking with the possibility even that Kuan can help. Learn the mantra. Or praise the Buddha. Or spend a moment a day, a little bit of time a day, just Offer a flower. The sense of offering to the saints, you say. Offering a moment of patience for all beings. Get a feeling of how that moment of space. Don't undervalue this capacity to really dissolve obstruction, to help us. 
We'll talk more in the next few days about these sorts of things that we can take with us in our daily life, where it's not so easy to have the depth of a retreat. And yes, the depth of retreat, we can do that very significant work of, yes, making the effort from within the heart to see the changing nature, to let go, which we, we need to do, to feel the formless source. And in daily life, to a certain extent, we can, in a moment, say, how is it now? And just feel ourselves for a moment, connecting with our wisdom. But we can more easily sustain in daily life, too, offering, praise, kindness practice, where we realize that we're rejecting, we're pushing something away, and just remembering for a moment, ah, can I embrace that, expand a little bit of that, include that, at least be at ease with that, with that well. In our dance of practice, we, we get more and more agile at letting be, letting go. Since for the I am nothing, the perfection of that, the embracing the totality, I am everything. Not being perplexed, not being disturbed by the apparent paradox. Realizing that both take us to undivided. Suchness. This is all path activity. There's many skillful means that are each equally important. You get a feeling for all of them, different, coming out of the one heart, all of them. So let's, for the rest of our life, what else is there to do? The rest of our life, offering this body-mind to pass. Whether it's praising, whether it's offering, whether it's surrendering to, whether it's holding a firm line, we're going to be in more detail in the remaining days. But I'll leave you with a, a couplet from the Buddha. Magga hatakilesa vapattanupattitamatam. The path, Magga. The path, just what we're doing sitting, walking, bowing, listening, living with awareness. Maga. Hatakilesava. That is what breaks up the obstruction. Pata nupati dhammatam. Pata, the goal. The peace. The clarity. The harmony some of the skills that we're all sometimes yearning for, patta, nupati dhammatam, it arises according to dhamma. Can we trust enough to allow things to arise in their own time? Can we be patient enough to just hang out with the doubts, hang out with the impatience, holiness, keep trusting enough the magic of awareness to keep transforming everything.
like flowers in our garden. We all know that as keen as we are for the flowers to come up as we go around just to help them a little bit by just pulling them up a sort of an end. You know that that experiment doesn't work. <laughs> but we can water. We can protect. We can appreciate the steps of the journey and trust that according to the laws of Dhamma, the seed sprouts. We are planting good seeds. Awareness. Offering. Bowing. Investigating. Staying with. Letting all these things are very good seeds. They flower into the Buddha, into Kuan Yin. I encourage us all, I encourage myself, let's stay with this wonderful Dhamma path. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.